What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall. In today's episode, we've got Matt Dabbs interviewing Brandon Gindin from Real Life Ministries in Texas. They dive into the principles of creating a disciple-making culture within the church body. Brandon shares his journey in ministry and how a focus on disciple-making, modeled by Jesus' example, transformed his own approach and shaped the culture at Real Life Ministries. He gives us insights on how he has successfully nurtured this in his own congregation and how he's imparted this approach to others. He emphasizes the importance of keeping the message simple, genuine discipleship as a lifestyle, and striving to make disciple makers rather than just making disciples. Let's enjoy the episode, everybody. This is Matt Dabbs interviewing Brandon Gendon from Real Life Ministries in Texas. Enjoy the episode. Well, everybody, this is Matt Dabbs here at Discipleship.org, and I have a, the pleasure of interviewing Brandon Gindon of Real Life Ministries in Texas, where he's a pastor and elder. Uh, they've been going on seven years now. They're in Houston. Uh, Brandon is the author of four books, and he's had some that have come out even in the last year or so. Uh, going back to the Real Life uh, Training Manual with Jim Putman, he just told me it, right before we hit record that it hit 160,000 copies, which is phenomenal. Uh, I went through that book uh, in the last four or five months and looking at different approaches and really appreciated what uh, the, the value that they added with that book. I encourage you to go get it. Uh, also, Stay the Course is a, a book that you can get on Amazon. And also there's some of that at discipleship.org, an ebook with that. And also on Amazon is the Disciple Making Culture book and his newest book on intentionality and disciple making. Um, I, I've read, I think, three out of the four and uh, I think highly of Brandon and his work. And so we just want to dive in here with adding value to you as you're looking at trying to make more of a disciple-making culture in your church. Like, what does that look like? How do you get there? How can we help? And so Brandon is a wealth of resources on that. So uh, welcome, Brandon. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm just excited to be here. So I love these conversations. Well, God's leveraging these conversations to help real ministries and, and you're in the trenches with that, helping churches planting churches. I mean, you're, you guys have your finger in so many things. And so we just know that God is using you in a, in a big way. So tell us a little bit about your background and, and why a disciple-making culture, which is the topic of our forum in 24, you know, where did that come from for you? Your, your, you know, who's influenced you with that? Yeah. Well, I have to go, you know, back to the very beginning. I'm starting as the small groups pastor at Real Life Ministries and Post Balls with Jim Putman. And, you know, with the team there and, you know, I didn't grow up in the church. That was my first ministry all those years ago. And, and I was learning from Jim and, and, and some of the other guys there. And, and so that's, you know, where it started. And for me, it was, it, it was starting out with just a lifestyle of, of disciple making. Um, you know, we, we made disciples in small group. I was disciple in small group. Um, and, and really spending that time with Jim, watching what he did and us learning together, frankly. And then I think building a system there at real life as I was the small groups pastor and looking at the new Testament, looking at the book of acts. Um, I read, I read other books, you know, one that was super helpful to me was the master plan of evangelism by Dr. Coleman and, you know, and others, but of looking at the life of Christ. What did he do with the 12? What kind of culture did he build um, with them? What did he do? How did that transfer to the early church? What did they live out? What did that look like? 
and really just trying to live those principles. And it was, I didn't, I did not know any different. And, um, so that I had an advantage of that. I, I didn't have a bunch of church background to try and wade through. And, and, um, um, it was just, it was really almost, Jim used to tease me that I was naive sometimes that, cause this is all I knew, but it was what I saw in the new Testament and us trying to live that out. So that's really where it started. Um, for me was in small group at real life, leading that first small groups ministry and seeing it grow to what it became and us planning churches out of it and so on. But that's where it really began. You know, so people have, a lot of churches have small groups. So that that's wonderful in the sense of they already understand that that's, it's, it's good, it's beneficial, but like, what's the difference between having a small group ministry and being intentional and having it be a disciple focused or Jesus style disciple focused small group? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's two parts of it. One is what is the end goal? Most of the time when I have conversations with pastors, leaders, elders around the small groups issue, typically small groups in the church today are used for uh, Bible teaching. They're used for fellowship, getting people together, being in relationship, kind of, I would use it just more in general as pastoral care and connection. And so the end goal is seen as we're winning if we get, if we get everybody in small groups. So the more people we have in small groups, therefore the we're winning. And those are good things, but I don't think that's the ultimate metrics. The metrics is, is there multiplication occurring? Are you raising up people that can disciple in a small group that are then multiplying and branching and, and making disciples? And one of the things that I really think about this end goal of small groups is to ask the question, are we making disciples or are we making disciple makers? And so the, there's a, there's an adjustment there. Jesus was focused on, yes, come be my disciple, but ultimately it was them being disciple makers. And, and what, you know, if we track the, the, the family tree from Jesus, you know, down, down through with the, the, his disciples, then apostles and and where that went, and we get into the Timothys and those guys that are further down the line, the focus has always been on multiplication. So I, I think in small groups of looking at your small group system and asking, what is the end goal? I think, and, and having the right end goal, I, I think that's a critical piece of it. The second critical piece of it is the environment and culture that you build within the group. Is it just for pastoral care? Or is there a culture within the group that says, we're going to bring people in, we're going to raise them up to be strong disciples, and then of course, sending them out. And so there's kind of, there's two parts. There's the culture that's built. And then I think what the end goal is, those are two parts that I've had so many conversations with leaders over 20 plus years in ministry. That's really helpful. So t tell us a little bit about how that translated from your experience kind of being mentored and, and kind of brought up through that system with Jim and then uh, launching out and intentionally starting a church with disciple making and disciple making culture at its core. Yeah. So uh, one thing about me is I'm a bit rebellious. So when somebody tells me I can't do something that pushes buttons in me, I'm just, I'm wired that way. And so what I heard early on was well in post falls that was just this miraculous thing that's it's kind of like jim and the group there caught lightning in a bottle kind of thing 
And that always really bothered me because, um, that's not what we see in the new Testament. And so it, you know, it was definitely, and has been continuing an amazing ministry, Jim and the team there have done a great job and they've planted churches and they're just doing great. But when I came to Texas, I had, I had a lot of people, leaders and, and people basically say to me, well, don't expect to see in post falls, you know, what, what you saw here and, and, or what you'll see there. And, and I just rebelled against that because I was like, no, what we see in the new Testament is the Holy spirit is always moving to see a disciple making movement of accomplishing the great commission. And so when we came here. I just, I, I committed to living out the principles that we lived there, it being a lifestyle and us training, developing and equipping people. And that's what we focused on. And, um, it started in my living room and we just did just like they did, you know, in post falls and other plants that we've done is to just make disciples as a lifestyle and not programmatically. And so I just took what I'd learned there, what I'd seen there, what had been modeled and just began living that out as best I knew how. And, uh, you know, it's grown to be over 2000 today and we've planted a bunch of churches and, and it's growing every day. So I think it's different than posts, not exactly the same. There's a lot of different things about it, but, but in a, in a, in a good way, that's been great. So. So one of the things that people often want, you know, they um, they want a cookie cutter. They want a list of things to do. They want a very specific plan. Okay. Like, okay, you, that happened in post falls. Now it's happening in Houston. How does it happen where I go to church or I want to start something new? Like, give me your checklist, give me your cookie cutter, give me your, you know, branding kit and all that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, but in, in reality, God is not calling everybody to do it exactly the same way every time. And so it really seems like what I hear you saying is, is saying, yes, we have principles in mind and they ultimately come from scripture, not from, you know, Jim Putman or Bobby Harrington or Brandon Gendon or whatever. Ultimately they come from Jesus, you know, and living faithfully into that relationally every day. It's like, you know, there's no shortcut for that. Like there's, there's no, the, the right. shortcut mentality, the shortcut list mentality is basically saying, relieve me from doing the hard work of the every day and just show me how to get there as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's yes. That I, I think just being brutally honest, I think that's true. And, and what you said is so important. There is no bypassing the hard work of getting in, in the lives of people because Building a culture starts with you as a, as the leader, as the person, if you're, if you're not the, the, the senior pastor, then it's still, you know, you influence that you play a part in that you, um, uh, wherever that you go. And so it has to be a lifestyle that you're committed to and, and it is hard work for sure. And so I, I just can't, yeah, I can't agree with you more and say that strongly enough. There are principles that we can take, but at the end of the day, it is a lifestyle that we live for sure. Yeah. I think that's really important for people to hear because in our American culture, there's a real risk aversion and there's a real on the, on one side of the coin, there's risk aversion, which I get that's human nature. We want to be comfortable. We we're driven to comfortability, but that's not growth. Comfort, growth's not found in comfortability. But we're also on the flip side of that coin. 
is we have so many options in front of us that in our lives that weren't in existence, you know, a hundred years ago, everybody's farming, whatever, you know, 200 years ago, everyone's just out there doing what their dad did. But now there's so many options. It's like, I don't know if I want to do that unless you can guarantee me, I'll get a 2000 person church in seven years. I'm going to look really good. You know, I'm just speaking out loud. I'm just, I'm not saying this is everybody. I'm not saying it's poisonous throughout all churches or anything. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying our American culture tempts us to think that way. Correct. So it's like, but what yours, what I hear you saying, I mean, and we know this, there is no, like you're one person at a time. There is no guarantee that it's going to take off, but you're going to be faithful. Correct. And, Correct. And I think that part of what you're saying is really the place we need to start, especially, you know, to build a culture is, am I okay with whatever the, the numeric outcomes are? Because I've talked, I've, I've coached guys that have done this in their churches and their churches shrank because the people don't want to do this. That's another part of this. We, on both sides, the leadership of the church and the people that are in the churches have built this culture and expectations around things of the, what the Western American church is that so much of it is, I think is just flat out unhealthy and it's cultural and it's not, it's not just even the theological things. It's how we live and what our priorities are. And, and, and so you're right in that. One of the things I've held to is this principle is I'm responsible for the quality of the disciple that I make and the meaning that I pour into the quality at which I do that, I have to learn and grow and be the best disciple maker I can. And we see that in acts, the church focused on the quality of their relationship, caring for one another, all, all of those things. God was responsible and it is responsible for quantity. If I chase quantity, then there is a high chance I will compromise quality. I will try to find shortcuts and ways around because my end goal is growing it to 2,000, 4,000, 10,000 or whatever. Um, and, and that's just not, I don't think it's biblical. Like our job is to go to love people, to focus on loving them in the best way we know how to teach truth, the gospel, the best I know how, and to, and to love and walk with people in that discipling relationship and then allow God to handle the numbers. And it's, it's easy to lose focus. I've struggled with it at various different times, but at the end of the day, that's what we're called to, to do and focus on and not buy into this. Well, if I don't hit a certain number that I'm not successful, that, that's not true. Sometimes your church might have to shrink and, and people that aren't committed to it leave. And that's sometimes hard to look at as being success. That's so good. That's so good. That's so well said, you know, there, there's a, a myth. I wouldn't call it a lie. I just think it's a misunderstanding. I think the word lie gets overused. Sometimes we use the word lie. Like we just don't agree. I'm like, you're lying. It's like, no, we just disagree. Yeah, um, right. You know, yeah. I don't think that's right. I think a lie has an intent. I don't think there's ill intent with what, I, what I'm going to say, but people often will say, do what you love, follow your passion. Okay. Man, if you can do that and great, like, but what if God calls you to do something that's going to make you highly uncomfortable? You're probably not going to love it at first, like loving the lost. Okay. That's hard. <laughs> I'm probably not going to love this. I mean, I can recount the people I've had in my car over the years where, when they got out of my car, I had to fumigate my car. I could barely stand to be in my car with them, but I had to learn to grow and love 
and did for, for, I can think of several people throughout my ministry where it's like, I really deeply love those people, but some of them at first pushed me really hard to not love them because they had a narrative in their mind that they were unlovable and they saw me as a minister that's got to love everybody. And if they could push me away, man, they sure could keep holding that story. I even, even the preacher, even the pastor came and loved me. Look at that. So it's like, you had to like dig in and like through all the junk they threw at you, like just keep loving them. And, and that that's hard. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying, you're not always going to love it. And we have this American myth that says, follow your passion, do what you love. That takes growth, hard work. I mean, what do you think? Completely. I mean, no, I, it's, I can't quantify it into an exact number or percentage, but I would say, I'm just thinking, reflecting over all the years, whether I was in Post Falls or here in Houston and all the different groups, men's groups, everybody groups that I've led, discipled a lot of people and, and I've seen them raised in the ministry and all those, and all those things, very similar, what you're describing. And. I don't, I don't mean it remotely from an arrogant place. I mean it from a place of, I don't know, 70, 80% of that was really hard, like really hard. Like I know I had a conversation with one of our church planners who just finished our residency and he, he's discipling this group of guys and, and it's, it's not going well. It's been really rough. And he was like, man, I just want to, I want to quit. Like, mm. is this worth it? Mm. And. And I said to him, I go, well, I said, you're going to ask yourself that question, if not every day, every week for the rest of the ministry. And he was like, really? Like you, you, that's been that way for you. And I said, yeah. I mean, some of my, some guys that were my closest friends along the way have fallen away or went a different direction or, or, or whatever. And then, and then, it, you know, kind of on the, the more leader, dis, uh, mature end of the process is hard, but the front end of discipling folks that are, you know, not uh, Christian and coming from really rough lifestyles, it has its own difficulty. And so I think if you're not willing to step into the hard, then man, you're, you're under an illusion of what this is. You know, Jesus said that the path is going to be hard. The narrow path will be hard. And I just think we have to expect that and, and, but when you see that one person's life change, when you see that person raise up and, and step into a calling God's given them to me, it's worth it. When a marriage is restored, when it, cause you see those too, and uh, get to be a part of those things. And that's what makes it so, so worth it. I just appreciate you being real with them I mean, real life, Texas, right? Like here you are with real life, Texas, just being real and, and putting that out there and, you know, like this is a whole other conversation, just redefining our idea of what the metrics of success really look like, you know, is, is an important conversation for another day. But, you know, talk to us a little bit about some of the key principles of disciple making culture. Uh, well, I, I think, you know, I, I don't mean to be repetitive, but I, but I, I think you got to be repetitive with this is the first principle to me is it has to start with you. It's not going to start with a program. It's not going to start with, you know, let's have a group of people over here somewhere else in our church do this. It has to start with you. If you're listening to this, that you first and foremost become the best disciple maker that you can be. I think that um, and commit to it. And, and people say to me, Brandon, how do you have time for all of this? How do you have time for what you do? 
that's a part of this and that you have to really evaluate in your life and go, I'm not saying put all your hobbies, but, but you have to get intentional with your life, intentional with what you do and know this is what my life's committed to. And so I think living this as a, as, as a lifestyle, I think knowing again, what your, what the, the, the real fruit of it is, is loving God and loving others. That's where the spiritual growth and all of those things. That's what I'm focused on is helping people love God, love themselves and love others. Well, that's a principle I, I write a lot about in, in the book. I, I think another principle of building your language, your, your culture, that I would say is your language, meaning you have to get clear and unified in how you define terms. That's been such an important part at, at real life and in post falls and all the other churches we've planted is using a clear definition of disciple making, using a clear definition of a disciple, the gospel, all those big keywords, church. Because culture has twisted it so much that the church culture has, not to mention the, you know, um, the, the secular world. So you have to get clear and then communicate. My staff teases me all the time because I get so tired of saying some of this stuff to our church and they will tell me over and over, you got to keep saying it. You got to keep saying it. And, and I'll, I'll close with this as an example. I, I was leading a men's group this spring. I am leading a men's group and it, earlier in the spring, a guy that's in my group, I just saw a huge leadership potential in him and I invited him into the group and he came and he's really bright, a very successful guy in his work field. And, and he's a bit intimidating, but he was in my group and we were about six weeks in and he said, he goes, Hey, can I be honest here in this group? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I want you to know, uh, right before he invited me to the group, my wife and I were going to leave this church. And I said, oh, I said, okay, well, why? And he goes, because you talk about disciple making and the great commission so much. He goes, I, he goes, I got to a place. I'm like, man, it feels like that's all this guy talks about. And I was going to leave. I said, okay, well, why didn't you? And he goes, he goes, well, it was because it dawned on me. He goes, the people in our church don't understand it. I didn't understand it. I was arrogant. And he goes, and God really changed my heart. And he goes, and I got in this group and I saw you live it as a lifestyle. This group is living it out. And he goes, I, for my 20, he's 26 years of Christian mint walk, my walk with Christ. He said, I've viewed it as a, just something that's a program disciple making. And he goes, and now I understand it. And he goes, and it took me forever to get it. I've been in this church for two years he goes, and I'm just now understanding. He goes, I feel like I'm starting all over. And so I just tell that story because our churches are filled with those people that have been in the church a long time, haven't actually experienced it and needed to hear me say it and live it out as a lifestyle over and over and over. And that's when their heart and their mind started to shift. So those are some of the principles I I would. Just as you're talking to Sophia Reflections, um, the feeling I get is it's like, we're always trying to look for something new or always trying to look for something fresh. We're always trying to find a new angle on that scripture or Psalm 23 or prodigal son or something. It's like, how can I pull out a historical background? No one in my church has ever heard because they've all been around so long. It's like that, that, that drive for newness, that drive for freshness. And I think, I think the adjustment there is that there is a kind of, there is a kind of freshness that you can bring to the text, but it, it comes through experience of like how you see God moving right now. 
And as you live into what he's saying and you're, you're repeating the same things over and over, like you're hammering home those same principles as a preacher. I used to think if I say it one time, I've said it forever. Mm. And it's like, no, I forgot what I said three weeks ago. Mm. It's like, you got to say it again and say it again and say it again. There are certain books I read several times because I, I need to hear it again. You know, mm-hmm. the, read the, keep reading the same Bible over and over again. You need mm-hmm. to hear it again. It's like, but my point is, is that we're in this search for something fresh from the text because our people often have been around so long, but really I think the freshness that gets brought to the text is when we bring our everyday experience to those, those texts, we say, you know, we're preaching through, you know, a gospel or whatever, and we're talking, we have people come up and share a testimonial about the principle that's involved in that text and how they saw God move that week. And giving honor to God for the prayers the church was praying and how the answer came. Like there's just a real life, living, breathing, moving freshness that you can bring the same great commission, the same principles. But when you bring a brand new disciple on the stage and you're like, Hey, tell your story, tell your story. Cause we're in, we're doing the great commission for that 92nd time, but your story is new to us, you know, like, so maybe we're looking for freshness in the wrong places. We're looking for freshness in the Greek. We're looking for freshness in the Hebrew, the lexicon, the historical background commentaries. I love them. I love all those resources, but I find it far more fresh when I hear someone talk about what they see God doing this past week or how God answered a prayer. Right. And, mm-hmm. and there's your real life, you know, like yeah. how do we make this real life? It's like intersect the word with the, the lives and yeah, give that the stage, you know? Yeah, I think um, here's a, what I heard you say brought two things to mind. I, I, I agree with you in that the, the, the Greek or the new lesson or the freshness of the information is critical. And, and so I think if you think about the life of Christ and what he did and modeled and even on into the book of Acts and so on, there was great focus on transformation rather than just information. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you've put, looked at how much Jesus taught and what he modeled, like, then we have completely flipped that paradigm. Right. And so now it's all about information, even the people in the church, like, you know, we'll do small group and it's not deep enough. It's, we need to know the Greek. We need to study our Bibles. And what most people are really saying is I want you to do the hard work of studying the, my Bible for me. And so you need to teach me because I don't, right? That's your job. I'm going to sit here and learn. And, and, and there's no, there is absolutely people need to learn information. So I agree with you in that. But if we have to shift and go, what was Jesus focused on? He was focused on transformation, transformation of belief systems, transformation of how you treat people, transformation of how you view people. And that's what the parables and all those things were, were all about. The other thing that I thought of, and it's, it's my favorite, it's my favorite book in the New Testament on other, other than the gospels, but on disciple making. And I think it's, it's first Thessalonians lays out mm-hmm. a beautiful picture of disciple making. And to your point in, in, in chapter one, he, he says why the church in Thessalonica was the model church of the whole region of the world. They became the one that everybody looked to in the midst of persecution and horrible things going on. And Paul says, why? And he says, you have imitated us as we have imitated Christ. There's disciple making. It was an imitation transfer. It was a lifestyle transfer. And then when you go read into two, 
in verse eight, not only did we share our lives in proximity relationship, we shared the gospel with you. So information, we shared the truth of the, of the gospel, but it was all done in relational context. And so when we read it and follow it, we look at this and go from Jesus on. And, and frankly, it's always been that way. The Deuteronomy 6, the Shema was about walking on the road, teaching your kids. People go, discipleship is a New Testament principle. No, it's not. It's always been there about how mm-hmm. we live our lives with God and live our lives with each other. And in the church today, we've just said, well, if we put you in a classroom and teach you information, that means you're gonna, your life will be transformed. That's not happened at all. In fact, we've inoculated against, in some ways, Jesus's methodology. And, and, and that whole principle, back to what we said earlier, is not easy. It's hard work, and it takes a lifelong commitment to it. Oh, that's so good. One thing that you brought to mind for me was, you know, I love to study the Bible. I, I mean, I've learned Greek and Hebrew. I've been to seminary, got a master of divinity. Like I love to dig. I've got all kinds of books and stuff. Like I, I love it. I, I enjoy it. Me too. I love it. Somebody, somebody, a Curtis Sergeant did an exercise, went to one of his trainings and he said, okay, y'all pair up and share with each other how you would explain the gospel in 30 seconds, explain it in two minutes, explain it in 10 minutes. And you're going to pair up and you're going to take these different, because sometimes you only got 30 seconds. Sometimes you got an hour, you know, sometimes you got 20, it's like, let's practice, practice, practice. So we practice and practice. And what I, what I, what, what dawned on me in that moment was my gospel, because of all this study, which is wonderful, it's wonderful, but I had a very hard time very simply articulating the gospel. And this is after having been in ministry for, because I want to throw in Caesar and how they use these words historically to mean, you know, this and that and Romans one and how Jesus is son of David, but you know, he predates Caesar's kingship. Like there's all this in my noggin that I want to, I want to share because it's just so rich. Right. But it's like, how, how would you share this good news in 30 seconds with someone who knows nothing about Caesar or Rome or the first century or Greek? It was like, that was eye-opening to me. And then I thought to myself, if I'm having to dig all this, this deep, fresh stuff out to share deep, fresh, fresh message every week, the people in the pew have no earthly idea how to share that good news with somebody. Because if they've heard it from me, it's been super complicated. But it's not complicated. I, I'm, I'm complicating it to show to show it to them in a way they've never thought about to make me look good. Yeah. Yes, and that's that's cla- like classic. What we do is we make this way more complicated than it has to be. And I would con- contend that most, at least, non Christians or even you know infant Christians, the information on Caesar and the words and those are good and it's fun. It is good to teach and and there are times and places those are critical that Absolutely. we need to have. But I would say a vast majority, and, and especially in today's world, they're just trying to figure out how to stay married. <laughs> trying to overcome an addiction. Yes. It's destroying their family. Yes. And yeah. sometimes all the Greek and Hebrew and all that is a distraction. It's it's a it's a it right versus hey, let me tell you about King Jesus. Like like 30 seconds. Like um, you know, and and so I think. I think that's spot on of what you're saying. And, and again, back to this issue of the culture, 
is what kind of culture are you creating? Is it a pl- is it a place to where people can get their hands and minds and hearts around the gospel and it be being something they live out in everyday life? They see it being lived out in your everyday life, and it's not overcomplicated. And we sure don't have to. We we don't have to. I would say let's try to unwind a lot of the knot that we've tied this all up into. And that comes through relationship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come through podium. It's, it's, it's supplemented by podium. Mm-hmm. Right. But it comes through relationships. What I hear you right. saying. Right. Yes. Yeah. So there are two cultures at play here. I'm, I'm kind of describing without saying it, you know, one culture and I'm not trying to be a, a, a big critic or anything. I, I'm more reflecting on my own journey, my own ministry, my own motivations, you know, 20 years of ministry and some of the things that the dark sides or the blind sides, you know, that have to kind of bubble up to deal with and, and, you know, getting back to a culture, like you said, of loving neighbor, loving God, loving self, like, what does that look like in real time? And it's so easy to lose track of that because we're, 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 we're trying to uphold a certain image of church or a certain image of the pastor or what, you know, it's just so tempting. It's just the flesh. It's very tempting. It affects all of us. But, you know, when we follow that, it, it builds a certain kind of culture and it's not, it's not a disciple making culture. It's not a Jesus culture. So I appreciate what you're doing and, and the very real work that you're doing in the lives of real people, you know, to see that change first on a micro level. But then, you know, how, how do you change, how do you, I mean, last question here, but how do you change that from like, you know, like you said, it's one thing for you to disciple people, but it's another for you to disciple them in a way that they become a disciple maker where it has a potential for exponential impact. So what's, what's the difference between the two for you? I think for me, it's, it's what, I, I don't know if I, I like the term, but it's, what's the measurement of success? The measurement of success for me in my mind is that if I'm, if you were in my small group, Matt, it would be that I, you know, I'm discipling you or, you know, using this as a, just an analogy here that I would, you were new to my church and we had never met and you're in my group. I disciple you not yes to, to invest in you, but the end goal is that you're discipling a group of guys, but, but I'm going to stay in relationship with you and help you and walk with you as you're discipling that group of guys, because the success is, is that the guys you're discipling are now learning to go disciple other, other people. Okay. Now, because that group, that ring doesn't know me, right? They, they weren't impacted by, by me directly. And that's when a movement begins. And so what I would say is my focus is, is, the, is ma- not making disciples, it's making disciple makers. If I was to put one thing in and go, you know, we've talked a lot from all the RLM guys is go make disciples, go make disciples. And that's true. And that's the great commission, but it's implied in it is that we're making disciple makers, not just disciples. And it stops there. It has to go beyond. And so that's to me is the, my focus and, and, and truthfully is to say, I, I don't care. I don't even want necessarily the next two and three and four generations that are go beyond to know who I am. That's not important. Um, it's important that they know Jesus and the credit goes to Jesus and, and that they become great disciple makers themselves. Love that. And so it's a decentralization mindset and it's a, a, 
growth by multiplication, not addition. And those are, I would say some things that, that I, you know, have focused on. Those are things I wrote a lot about and disciple making culture and, and the new, my new book intentionality about how to be intentional in that. And because it's, that's just all I've been a part of most of my whole entire ministry. I think it was either Billy, I guess it was Billy Graham. I wanted to say Robert Coleman, but maybe it was Billy Graham who said, if he had to do it all over again, he'd just pour into 12 guys like Jesus did, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of keep with it, keep relationally, you know, of course it only took Jesus three years to do that, but he was the son of God. As you were saying that, I was thinking of the phrase that said, you know, people say like plant a tree whose shade you'll never enjoy. Mm-hmm. You're like thinking of that next generation or 50 years from now, hundred years from now you know, what enjoyment that tree is going to bring. That's just, you know, this big in your lifetime, or, you know, maybe just, you know, that big in your lifetime, but one day there's a, a swing in it and some stranger who bought your house kid is grandkid is swinging in it. They're just laughing yeah. and having a good time, you know? Yeah. That's plant, great. Plant that tree. That's great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate what you shared, Brandon. It's been really a blessing. Is there maybe you have just a, any final thought burning in your mind that kind of closes out with? One of the things that I try to say to any groups or people I go to is, is always to give people just a word of encouragement and of hope that this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. This is the will of God is, is being a great disciple maker. Hmm. And I think I would just encourage people that feel like, well, I'm not in the church that's committed to this, or I'm not in a ministry that this really there's always things we can come up with that are reasons or hindrances. And I just, you know, I would, I, 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 I kind of collectively hear you, but I want to encourage you to just to start with you. And if you already are living it out, great, keep working at it and get better at it. You know, abide in Christ and spend time with him walking in the spirit of God. And the Lord is going to lead you into this as a lifestyle think about those four or five or seven, 10 that you can put into a group and do life with and disciple them with the intent of sending them out. You can do it. And I just want to encourage people if they feel down or feel like quitting, if you're that pastor, that's like, I just, I don't think I can do this, you know, to hang in there and, and keep walking this out. Hopefully some of the resources I've written would help you, but I know, you know, discipleship.org, that's what it's committed to is the, is as a whole. And and utilizing the resources that come out. And you can do this. Keep going. Oh, I love that. And if you don't know what to do, I mean, we, we obviously read your Bible, look to Jesus, read the Gospels. What did he do? Watch the, watch the red letters and the black letters, what he said, what he did. Robert Coleman, Master Plan, your book on intentionality and cult, your book on culture, very helpful. Real Life Mail, very helpful. Haven't read Stay the Course. I don't, I've, I've been through it, but I can't say I read it cover to cover. But one of the things that was helpful to me was to ask God for help. Mm-hmm. I realized yeah. after 10 years of ministry, I knew how to make a convert, but not a disciple. And so I just said, God, please help me learn how to make a disciple. And I said, I promise Amen. you, if you'll show me, I will do it to the best of my ability for as long as possible. Amen. And I went out to, to a lectureship. I was speaking and there was a guy in the front row. I had never, and over to the right-hand side, second row, never met him before, but I, I knew his face. It was Bobby Harrington. And he walked up to me after my talk and he asked me, do you know how to make disciples? And I said, that's crazy. You would ask that. I've been asking God to send somebody to show me how to do that for like three months. Awesome. And he's like, I'll show you. That's great. 
And then I was like, oh, now I'm on the hook. I told God that I would do it. And so ever since, I mean, I've, I've been doing it, ever, you know, ever since I knew what to do. But what I'm telling you, man, God, God, if you, if you ask what's aligned with his will for you, like you said, this is the Holy Spirit's will for you. Mm-hmm. He will provide it. He will yes, show you will. if you have that desire. Just, but sometimes we just got to ask even give me the desire to have the desire, you know, so I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Brandon. Um, so in this interview, we've mentioned a couple of books and we'll put links to those in the descriptions so that you can purchase those. And so also looking forward to the forum where, where it will be highlighting the disciple making culture here in 2024. So appreciate you, Brandon. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode today, everybody. If you would like to hear more from Brandon Ginnon, if you want to get his book on disciple making culture, please click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to a page where you can purchase that today. And on the next episode, we're going to be hanging out with Sean McDowell. He's going to be talking about how you create core beliefs and values. So please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already and come back to this channel and join us for the next episode. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.